Today in Flex in the City, we talk to Rob Williams, Chief Distribution Officer of Royal London Asset Management, as he discusses the critical importance of values-based leadership, changing the language in asset management, and continuing to serve the community. All that happening right now in Flex and the City. Hello, everybody. This is Rachel Treese for Flex in the City, all about leadership in the financial services industry. And today I have somebody who very scarily I have known for over 30 years. His name is Rob Williams, and he is the Chief Distribution Officer of Royal London Asset Management. So nice to see you again, Rob. Lovely to see you too, Rachel. Can't quite believe it's been 30 years or more. It's hard feels to believe. Like yesterday, it feels like yesterday, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. Two, two young graduates in a very different era. And here we are now, older and, and hopefully wiser. Absolutely. And, and talking about wiser, we're going to be talking a lot about wisdom. So obviously, I know a lot about you, but our listeners don't. Perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about your own journey following from those days when we first met to where you are now. Yes, yeah, certainly. So, crikey. Well, I'm 51. When I met you, I was uh, probably 21, straight out of university. My background, I think, fairly conventional. One of four kids, working father, stay-at-home mum, decent schooling, and went to uh, a university to read geography, graduated from there. And the one piece of career advice my father gave me, or the one piece that I remember him giving me actually, was look for a graduate development programme. He said, because the company is incentivized to sort of look after you and, and give you a good foundation for your career. Yeah, so I, I uh, looked around for a graduate development program and, of course, ended up on the uh, graduate development program at what was then called Save and Prosper. Indeed, it was yeah. indeed. An, an illustrious name that is known more through various different pieces of uh, corporate m and It, of course, uh, ended up as part of Fleming's and then Chase Fleming's and then subsequently J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Started work for what was Save and Prosper, took a really good opportunity after about, what, six years or so with them to go and work in Luxembourg. And of course, that's another link with you in the chain. Arrived to work for Fleming's in Luxembourg, probably in about what, um, I guess it would have been about sort of 98, something like that. Mm-hmm. Just as Fleming's was really expanding well in, in continental Europe and other parts of the world. Came back to the UK a few years later joined a firm that many will know called Scandia, but ultimately that became Old Mutual, did about 12 years there, and then joined Royal London Asset Management about 10 years ago. The first person to take up the role of head of distribution, or as we now call it, chief distribution officer, reporting into the then chief executive, Andrew Carter. So um, three main employers, 30 years, an average of 10 at each, now thereabouts, and here I am today talking to you. Wow, there we go. There we go. It passes so fast, doesn't it? So in your illustrious career, Rob, I'm guessing you'll have met many leaders in, in financial services. Has, has there been any leaders either in financial services or outside of financial services that have really inspired you? It's an interesting question. And I have to say, and this might lead to a barrage of criticism from your listeners i think we're lacking inspirational leader examples in financial services maybe it's the type of industry i don't know maybe it doesn't mm. engender 
inspirational leadership. I suppose I'm typically more inspired and motivated and engaged by leaders outside of the financial financial services um, arena. So someone who I think is very impressive is Richard Branson. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. I think it's because entrepreneurs have that sense of resilience and single-mindedness that allows them to be successful or not. And I once heard Richard Branson hosting a phone-in where somebody had created their own business. Someone was an entrepreneur and had created their own business and it had failed. And this person spoke to Richard Branson on this phone-in and said, so Richard, you know, I set up this business. It didn't go according to plan. I failed. What do you think I should do? Should you try again? Should I try again? And Branson was sort of, he was sort of stuck in his tracks for a while. He was a little bit flabbergasted because he, he said, well, well, of course you should. What do you mean? You failed once. Look, you're going to fail another 10 or, 10 or 11 times and then you'll get it right, I suspect. But of course, you pick yourself up and you get going. And I think you get that sort of resilience from entrepreneurs and we don't have that entrepreneurial type leadership in financial services, if I'm honest. But, and I know I'm not giving you a chance to get in and sort of challenge me on what I'm saying, but if I was to point to a leader that I have worked for in financial services, someone who I learned from, anyone who knows or knew this man or who knows me might be surprised to hear me talk about this person in this life, but my, my prior boss, um, Andrew Carter, the chief executive officer at Royal London Asset Management, the man who, who hired me 10 years ago to, to Royal London. What I admired about him and what I learned from him was his sticking to his knitting and a real values based sense of leadership for him it is all about hire people that have got great values and let them do great things you know he had a sort of a policy that in case there are any sort of younger listeners listening i won't i won't use the real words he used but he sort of said look just don't hire idiots hire nice people that are well motivated and let them get on and do good things so i think having that sort of sense of purpose sense of what sort of values build a great firm is really important. And actually, that's what you do see that type of leadership in financial services. I think on the whole, people that work in financial services have great, great levels and stores of integrity and purpose, but perhaps not that sort of sense of, of entrepreneurial uh, flamboyant leadership that you tend to get in other sectors. Interesting. And so with, with the times that we're in right now, and uh, you will have heard of the chat GPT and, you know, times are changing, we're changing on a daily basis. Do you think there's a need for a shift in leadership style in, in the industry or, or not? I think we've got to be careful what we wish for. I actually think our industry beats itself up a little bit too much. I think on the whole, mm. we do a really good job. You've got to look pretty pretty hard to find failures in certainly the asset management industry. And that's the industry that, or the, the category, the, the, the part of financial services I, I clearly know best. You've got to look hard for failures. We're pretty, on the whole, well-managed, well-governed, professional, well-meaning industry. And so I don't think we need a radical shift in the type of leadership that we, that we should look for. Is there scope for I guess, a more, a more human approach to leadership in our industry. Yes, I guess you could argue there is. I think themes that are coming to the fore now, over and above the long overdue and necessary focus on things like diversity and inclusion, are things like a focus on kindness and respect 
mm-hmm. and generosity and a social conscience and decency being, being, being seen to do the right thing. So I think those values will probably come to the fore and probably are coming to the fore and perhaps would constitute you know, a, a really beneficial contribution to the industry rather than going out and, and artificially looking for some of the skills that you see in, in the more obvious flamboyant leaders that you get in, in um, sort of the more entrepreneurial parts of, of, of commerce. Interesting. So on to distribution now. Obviously, we're in a world of technology and there's the ability to be able to buy funds on online. So what are you saying are the actual challenges for, for leaders in distribution right now? Well, there are undoubtedly many. I think you've sort of hinted at one, and that is the I suppose the sort of the, the space race to keep up with the levels of data and technology literacy that we in the industry need to acquire because our, our clients have it, the younger generations expect it. Um, so, um, so that's that's definitely that's definitely a, a challenge. I think I heard a, a well-known CEO of an asset manager refer to his business not so much and asset management business, but a data management business. And I think we really feel that in distribution, um, trying to satisfy the, the myriad and increasing needs of our clients for data and insight. I think the other challenge is keeping abreast of the regulatory agenda. Um, you're talking to me, I guess, from Luxembourg. I'm sat here in my home office in, in London. And you're therefore very familiar and conversant with SFDR, as am I, but having to become more conversant with something called SDR, which will be the the UK's post-Brexit equivalent Mm. of SFDR. So I think from a distribution perspective and also in manufacturing, we're really struggling to keep up with wave after wave of um, regulatory requirement and so on and so forth. And that impacts right through the value chain from from the consumer all the way down to the manufacturer and then i guess the age-old problem of communicating and trying to communicate what is ultimately a, a, a rather simple objective of managing people's assets and hopefully keeping a, ahead of inflation but we as an industry seem to do quite a good job of making it seem quite complicated so that challenge has existed for the 30 years that I've been in the industry. Um, perhaps it's made, well, you could argue, couldn't you? Has it been made simpler or more complex by the multiplicity of media channels and technology that we have at our fingertips today? But that communication still exists. How do you actually communicate with our clients, with our prospects in a, in a fashion and uh, in, in a way that they understand it and, and, and want to consume it? So if you could wave a magic wand and, and change the language that goes out to consumers, what would you change about it? What would be, can you give me an example of the kind of, how, how you would shift the language of the industry? I think it would be less jargon, less terminology, less arguably, less secrecy and sort of mysticism around the way that we talk about markets and so forth. I think having people that are able to 
clearly communicate things such as what are going on in the economic markets in a way that the average consumer can understand would be really helpful. And therefore, I, I guess just doing away with the sort of um, the slang that we tend to use in the industry. So, I, and there are there are definitely moves afoot to to try and do that. You heard me talk just a minute ago about wave after wave of regulation and legislation. Um, we've got something coming to a an asset manager near you in the UK, not just asset managers but many financial services participants, called the consumer duty. And part of the part of the gist of that is really try to understand investors, understand clients, and communicate them to, communicate to them in a way which they will understand. So, you know, funnily enough, I'm not one of these people that says all regulation is bad um, or, or overly onerous. I think a lot of regulation is really well intended and actually is starting to actually have a, an impact on the, on the industry such that you've described, which is if I could make, wave a magic wand, what would I want? Well, is to be able to communicate to people in a way that they understand. So I think that's it. You know, that's the bottom line for me. So talking about a different language, you have two children um, who undoubtedly have a very different language from you and I. Um, how old are they now, Rob? Well, the son who's 15 slash 16 um, and then a daughter who's 12 going on 21. You know what that's like. Indeed. Absolutely. And so do, do they know what, what you do? Uh, are, they, are they familiar well, with your work? Would they... Well, they, they, they do now. Um, although I have to say, I think that I think when they found out, they were grossly disappointed, actually. Um, my, my, my daughter in particular, I've realised subsequently that because we used to live in a house that had a train tracks at the bottom of our garden, my wife, Helen, would say to my daughter every morning when she was a very, very young girl, she'd say, look, wave goodbye to daddy as he's off to work because she knew I went to work on the train. And it was only a couple of years later that I realised it was a gross, I was a gross disappointment to her because she thought I was the train driver. So when, when she ultimately found out that I, I worked for a fund manager, so she was terribly disappointed. So, so they do know what I do. Um, and they ask interesting questions now. They, you know, they've got, you know, now they're older, as I said, sort of 15 and 12. They ask, they ask good questions. They sort of size up the, the sort of the working environment um, and the politics and the hierarchy of it all. In fact, I came home, if you'll spare me another story, I came home from work um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'm on the board of Royal London Asset Management and such as I want, we have a board dinner the night before the board meeting and I came home and I wasn't too late. So I walked into my daughter's room to say goodnight to her and she'd asked me where I'd been. And I said, I'd been at dinner with um, some of my fellow directors. But, uh, and, uh, and she said, well, who was there? And I said, well, some of my fellow directors and the, the chairperson of the board and some of the parent company, independent non-executives. And she thought for a while and she said, so was there anyone there who was more junior than you? And I said, I thought about it. And I said, well, no, not really. And she said, hmm, so what you're telling me is you only just made the cut. <laughs> so, so it's quite interesting. That's a 12-year-old girl who sort of sized up the sort of the hierarchy that exists within a corporate these days. Um, so they, they definitely understand what I do. And I, I wouldn't say they're quite at the stage of wanting to follow in my footsteps, but they ask me interesting questions about work, for sure. 
And what would her advice to the industry be? Oh, gosh. She would say make it more interesting, I think. She'd mm-hmm. say make it more real, make it more interesting, make it more engaging. How do, you, how do you capture, and maybe this is what I should have said earlier, you know, how do you capture the younger generation's interest in what can be a really, really dull subject? You want people. We need people to be interested in saving more. Uh, the UK has a particularly low savings ratio, for example. Um, we want people to save, don't we? But they're not going to if they don't really understand why they need to or what the outcome is. So for kids the age of yours and mine um, who are spending a lot of their time playing Sims or Minecraft or, or whatever it is, you know, it's, it's the gamification of life. And that should apply to um, arguably to to how we uh, communicate and educate around financial services as well. So I think that's what she'd say. She'd say, make it more interesting, make it more interesting and tell me what's in it for me. Very good. And so so one of the things I did a little bit of research on Royal London, and I was very interested to, to read that Royal London back in the day, formed in 1861, mm. was very, very community driven as an organisation with abundance mentality creating it was actually around burial clubs initially mm. am i right um yes you're right so, and then turned into a friendly society so so as an organization you all about community i just wonder if there's um again a bit of advice from from the younger generation around that, that community for the industry how can this industry come together to make it more exciting and interesting well, I love the fact you've spotted that and you've done your research. I'm very impressed. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because society now is more than ever about, about communities and associations and affiliations, typically empowered or powered by social media and tools and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I, I, do, I do think that's a watchword for our industry. So... I think that's what arguably makes Royal London and Royal London Asset Management different from many of our peers. We're a mutual, fundamentally, that means we're owned by our customers. Uh, You kindly pointed out that we've been around since 1861, so we've managed to manage ourselves pretty well, and we've done a great job, I think, for our customers over those years. But that's that's what... What was that? It's called sustainability these days, isn't it? That's exactly right. Yeah. Gosh, you're very, you're on fire today, Rachel. That's very good. But yeah, we've we've sustained, you know, through through good times and and through bad. And I think it is that focus on the long term. It's that focus on the customer rather than on shareholders. It's the belief that we should be um, returning demonstrable value to our customers who are actually our owners. And it's, and it's having a real purpose at the heart of our firm. Um, and yeah, and you kindly point that out, that it's, it's, it's grounded and founded in a sense of community. And I think that's, that's what we're doing all those many, many decades later. Fantastic. So my very last question, Rob, um, which we always finish Flex and City on, it's always the, one of my favourite questions. So outside of financial services, um, when you're not being a fabulous father and, and husband, is there something else that you enjoy doing? There's lots. There's lots I enjoy doing. and I don't have enough time for it. 
I have started playing hockey again, competitive hockey. I played it at university and for a couple of years afterwards, I've helped coach my sons and daughters hockey teams. And uh, one of my fellow coaches who still plays uh, convinced me to, uh, to pick up my hockey stick and get back in the game quite literally. So last year I, I, I joined the team, played in a league and I'm loving it. So um, uh, you'll find me on a hockey pitch most, most actually Saturday afternoons and Sunday mornings now, much, much to my surprise. 25 years after I last picked up a hockey stick. Fantastic. So, so financial services, getting back in the game, what can financial services learn from what you've learned um, about hockey? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, I'd probably say it's, the older you get, the more important it is to warm up and stretch, quite frankly. Um, but more seriously, I think I would say, I think as you mature, as you grow up, I think you learn more about how to focus and where to, where to direct your energies such that you can make a difference. So I think as a, a young man or as a, a young firm, arguably, you sort of dash around the, the pitch, if I can extend the analogy or the world, trying to accomplish and be all things to all people and do everything. I think the older you get, the more mature, the more circumspect you become, you realise that you can't please all the people all the time. You can't be good at everything. You've really got to focus on where you can make a difference and where you can lead and what you, what you choose to be really good at. Mm. And so if you were offering some advice to Rachel and Rob, mm. uh, who are just joining the industry right now today, mm. is that the advice you'd give them? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's undoubtedly. I think, moreover, I would say be open-minded. Mm -hmm. um, I think I would say don't box yourself into a very linear hierarchical career. Lap up and embrace every opportunity that is thrown at you. Give yourselves as much, give yourself as much optionality as you possibly can. Take qualifications, take those secondments, volunteer for those projects that nobody else volunteers for make them your own and make a success of them. And that's what, that's what gives you opportunities and, and career longevity, I think, in the end, in the end of things, at the end of things. Fantastic. Rob Williams, Chief Distribution Officer of Royal London Asset Management. Thank you so much for joining us today on Flex in the City. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Rach. Great to see you again. You just listened to Flex in the City. Catch us on our next episode.